There'd be stragglers here. So come, come Monday nights tomorrow. Monday nights, okay, so you're... class, the last class. Right. Okay. Good. She's, no, not Monday. No, uh -huh. it's not Monday, sorry. Okay. All right. Wednesday is Monday, 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 John, Allison, Akayani, Michael, Leela, Fernanda, right? And uh, you st have you started taking classes here at Jiva Mukti? Yeah? yeah? She's a permanent resident. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Oh, wow. So I moved here four months ago from Italy. I'm originally a student. And I'm a visual artist. Wow, wonderful. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. How long will you be showing there? Isn't that wonderful? Cool. Very nice. Jadeep, how are you? Good to see you, as always, in your spot. That you, you've commandeered that place in the room. That's, your, that's the Jadeep spot there. Cher, welcome back. How's the, how's the juice fast going? Going well? I'm hungry. Yeah, it's going well. It's, it's good, because, you know, it, it, the purpose of it is to Oh, well, you have to leave now. Yeah, yeah, I have to go. <laughs> I'll go back to Tuesday tomorrow. But, um, and I'm still, you know, busy with that. But, you know, a lot of emotions come up along the way, and it yeah. helps to... Um, I notice that that chanting goes deeper. Huh. And, uh, Interesting. And not as much chatter in your brain. Right. Your ability to go into that peaceful place is nice. It's very nice. Huh. Wonderful realization. <laughs> Thank you. What's up? Robert? Yes, uh, you come here for about six months off and off. And how's your chanting going? Not so good. Uh -huh. <laughs> All right, well, so there's always room for improvement. Yes. Okay, good. So let's see, we have two newcomers here. We've just been going around introducing ourselves and saying our names. So would you like to introduce yourself as well? What's your name? Uh, my name is Anna. Anna? Anna. Nice to meet you. And this person with you is? Uh, my name is Elena. Hi. And I'm just visiting Are you visiting New York or are you New Yorkers? Or can you live here? Well, we were talking a moment ago about how this little gathering that we have has been going on for quite a while. <laughs> and uh, it's ended up being a lot of fun. Um, Fernanda, would you pass out a few more Joppa beats, please, to our uh, new guests? So we're going to start with um, a round of Joppa. I'll show you what you do here. <clears throat> this, if, how, how many of you are familiar with Joppa? Yes? Good. Okay. <laughs> this is... Um, need more? Okay. This is, a, this is a very ancient practice. It's actually um, even mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita. There's a verse in the Gita where Krishna says, Yajnanam japa yajnusmi, of all the various forms of sacrifice that one can perform. I am the chanting of the sacred names, japa, yajna, all the various yajna, asmi, I am, japa. So here's how japa is perform. If you will take the beads, try not to let them touch the floor or your feet, since they are considered sacred 
They're not just wood. They're sacred uh, prayer uh, beads. And so we treat them with some respect. You'll see sometimes people with little bead bags like Michael's over there. It's a way of um, making sure that they're kept clean. And so they'll go inside the bag and you'll be chanting on the beads inside the bag. But you can do it like this also, either hand, holding them in between your two hands, or you can also drape it around your neck. So you're going to be using the right hand and the first and third fingers, not the pointer finger, but the first and third finger, starting with the bead just to the right of this rather ostentatious little bead right there. And um, the Krishna mantra is chanted on each bead. And you can gently turn the bead if you like between your fingers. You can hold the bead and then move on to the next one. The value of chanting with uh, a strand of beads its called a mala or a garland, a garland of beads, is that one, it's a way of keeping track. Initiated devotees, people who you see wearing these neck beads, uh, take a vow of chanting 16 times around one of these malas every day. That works out to be about an hour and a half or so of chanting meditation, mantra meditation every day. It's, a, it, it, it's an extraordinarily intimate experience, I guess is the best way I can describe it. It, it. After you've chanted japa for a while, the sensation is one of a kind of deep, deep intimacy with God, with Krishna. Uh, the prayer, the chant is a prayer. It literally translates as my dear Radha, or the energy of God, which is the devotion that we must have to approach Krishna. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. There's always the first invocation is to the goddess, to Radha. Hare Rama, the word Rama means the highest uh, joy possible, the highest pleasure, the highest satisfaction. Um, so the prayer, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, uh, literally translates as, or you might say, not literally, but it's, uh, it's, my teacher Prabhupada once described this like a child calling out to mother. Um, so a heartfelt prayer to please pick me up, engage me in your service. Um, We'll chant slowly, just maybe a half around, so just for a few minutes. Um, as you practice, speed naturally increases. But um, it's more important that you hear the mantra yourself. So japa is a, a murmuring, uh, a, a, not exactly a whispering, and not an out loud chanting. Somewhere in the middle, loud enough so that you can hear and perhaps people immediately around you might also hear. Um, but not a, a kirtan. It's, it's not a communal dance and song fest. It's, it's a private meditation. So let's try the chanting together just for a few minutes. Have a comfortable posture. You don't have to have your eyes open or closed. You're welcome to... Focus on the altar, if you like. That's one of the reasons why we have the altar, is that a way of engaging the eyes as you chant is to see the form of Radha and Krishna there in the center image. Uh, some of the teachers whose uh, explanations of the sacred texts have come down over time are represented in the photos and paintings you see there. Uh, or you can... Just go inside yourself and just listen to the chanting, either way. If you find your mind wandering, that's okay. Just bring it back. <laughs> if you start thinking about, okay, well, I'm going to be here for another, I'll give it another 10 minutes and then we'll see. Um, 
or if you've got something you have to do tomorrow, see if you can't just set that aside for now and come back to just hearing the sound of the mantra. Right? So let's chant together if you like. Or at your own speed. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Hare Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Rama, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama. Now that's the equivalent of about about a half of a round. 
for one full round and then multiply that 16 times would be a full daily dose. And when you come to the end of the, come to this, you don't cross over the bead. That's called, that's considered the Krishna bead. So you don't cross over them. Start going back in the other direction. Okay. Um, we're at the end of the fourth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. It took us long enough to get here. Uh, so just before we get started, though, anybody have any news to report? I do. What's your news, Michael? Remember Frank from Mooney Farms? Yeah. He named his entire farm off of all devotional farms. Like, each pot of his name after a deity. And he, every crop he pricks, he offers it to Krishna. My God. special. And wow. work on a farm, you require to chant like farm. Goodness. Very spiritual farm he's got going on. That's great. That's great. <clears throat> There's um I don't know if I could quote you chapter and verse on this, but there's a a tradition that uh, that says when food is offered to God on the altar, when it's sanctified with prayer, we have some Prashadam this evening for everybody? Michael? Shabbat, yes. You brought Prashadam? What did you bring? I brought oatmeal, raisin, chocolate chicken. Oatmeal, raisin. I always get chocolate chicken in there. Yes, you do. When food is cooked with devotion, as, as let me just take a step back. In, in the bhakti culture, the devotional culture of India, there are six activities of friendship or love. Uh, one is you offer a gift to someone and the second is that you receive a gift from someone. The third activity of love is that you invite someone to your home and the fourth is that you visit someone in their home. This, the fifth activity of love is that you reveal your heart. And the sixth is that you hear when your friend reveals his or her heart to you. Those are the six activities of love and friendship. And uh, so developing that with Krishna, developing that feeling of love and friendship for Krishna. Uh, one of the staple activities in bhakti culture is you take your food before you eat a meal and you sanctify it. You take a moment to offer a prayer. You can chant the Krishna mantra or some other prayer if you have that. But make eating a part of your yoga practice. Make something that you do every day spiritualized by investing it with the same kind of attention and devotion that you would chanting on japa or practicing your Asanas. Bring that intent to the purchase and the preparation and the serving and the consumption of a meal and that becomes part of the whole spiritual experience of life. And the tradition in India is that prasadam is so spiritually charged, food that's offered to God becomes so spiritually charged that not only the person who offers the food is benefited, but the person who prepared the food, the person who chopped and cleaned the vegetables or fruit or grain or whatever it is, the person who purchased those groceries, the shop owner who sold those groceries to you to be prepared for offering to Krishna, the supplier who brought the food and the produce to the store that could be sold for them preparing to offer to Krishna, the farmer who farmed the food that was then brought to the market and sold to... You get the point. <laughs> everybody. Everybody benefits. <laughs> Devotion is such a powerful thing. It's so, such a powerful thing. 
So thanks for the news of Frank's farm. Any other news? What else is going on? What have you been up to this week, Robert? Um, I'm taking acting classes and painting classes. Goodness gracious, what a talented group of people we have here. <laughs> My gosh. Well, I, do you have any scenes coming up that you might, you know, give us a little sample or anything? Oh, the acting? Yeah. Well, uh, we're, we're not doing any productions right now. We, uh, we may be some maybe in the fall. Uh-huh. Okay. okay, well, <clears throat> apropos acting and improvisation, those are also two very central activities in bhakti. Uh, there is a tradition in the very, very deep mystic community of devotees, of Krishna, which is a life predicated on theater. In fact, there's a book by a wonderful scholar named David Haberman called Acting as a Path of Salvation. And in this book, David talks about Astakala Lilas Marana. I think that's the right name for it. That's the Sanskrit name for uh, this deep meditation on Krishna's activities throughout the day. When Krishna appears from the spiritual world, he does so in order to attract our hearts by his extraordinary pastimes. Other avatars came because they had some mission to perform. There was something that had to be done. Rama came to bring down the Rakshasa demon king Ravana. Right? And uh, 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 Varaha avatar came to uh, rescue the earth from the bottom of the ocean where it had fallen, the cosmic ocean. And so who goes into muddy ocean water? A boar. So the Varaha, boar incarnation, lifted the earth up. So each of the incarnations had something to do. When Krishna came in his original form, 5,000 years ago approximately, he didn't have anything to do. He just played. That's all that he did. And throughout the day, he had different, different games and, and things that he would do with his friends. Wake up in the morning. Usually in his younger years, his mother would dress him. So there's that part of the day where you take your bath, you get dressed, you go out and you have prepare breakfast, and then you go to the fields with your friends and you tend the calves because the cowherd children are too young to take care of the cows, that's the older cowherds who take care of the cows, but the children take care of the calves. And they'll play games when they're out there. They'll, uh, they would play uh, ball, but there was no you know, manufactured rubber balls back then. They would use a tall fruit or some kind of a, a thick-skinned fruit as the ball for catch or kick or whatever. And... Uh, Sometimes they'd sit around when lunchtime came and Krishna would say, uh, what do you got? And the other children would show them what they have in their lunch bag. And Krishna would, you know, I'll swap you. I've got some, I got a lot of sweets from my mom. I'll swap you for some of what you got. And they'd play like that. Um, then they'd come home have to take your bath again. You're all dirty from, you know, being out in the field all day long. And then evening, you know, something would go on. Now, of course, when Krishna reached about the age of 12, evening and nighttime became very special because that's when he would sneak away to be with Radha. And that's what you see in this image here, Radha and Krishna dancing in the moonlight. So... Theater is a deep part of the bhakti meditation where you go into uh, a, a sacred space of meditation on these different activities throughout the day in the spiritual realm between Krishna and his friends. And the pure soul, those who are very, very advanced in their bhakti yoga practice, take on the personality of one of the people in that spiritual realm. So in other words... The highest spiritual realization that you can attain in yoga 
is not a vision of God. It's entering into the activities with God. And that's a kind of theatrical frame of mind where the, just, a, just as an accomplished actor, from the stage can evoke emotions in an audience. In the spiritual realm, that same idea of evoking the spiritual emotions of the soul and the soul's love for God is achieved through acting and ultimately through a kind of improv where it's not just a kind of mimicking of the activities of these great souls who are already involved in pastimes with Krishna, but where there's a, an improvisational quality to the engagement. So you're not working from a script. You're <clears throat> responding to every moment very spontaneously. So that's a very important part of Bhagavad Gita and, and the post-Gita study of devotion. Anybody else? <laughs> You've been performing, haven't you? Yeah, I have. Um, uh, you <laughs> and I said, oh, I was doing the, you know, the show I did here with the tambourine and all of the, instead of doing the same thing at, the, at a yoga class. If you Google Akaini and the Tom Glide space, you'll find uh, the calendar for Akaini's performances. So, well, let's see, anything else? Okay. Let me see if I have any news. Um, lots of cucumbers. <laughs> the garden is yielding lots of cucumbers. Really? Oh, yeah. You have any extras you can't deal with? Bring them. All right, I'll bring them next week then. Yeah, because there's more than we can deal with. Um, <laughs> it's funny because I'm thinking about this vegetables Well, you can make a really lovely summer cucumber soup with uh, some you know, non-dairy sour cream or yogurt and uh, a little olive oil, salt and pepper. You can put some mint in there as well. Really quite nice. And offer it, of course, on the altar to Krishna. <laughs> um, so, here's, here's the final verse of the fourth chapter. It's text 42. If you have the Gita in front of you, you're welcome to turn to page... And 227. <clears throat> and uh, we'll, we can recite this verse together. Uh, here's how the first line sounds, if it's just spoken. Sanskrit is a, is a sung language. It's not spoken, it's ch chanted or sung. But if we were going to say these words just as a uh, spoken language, uh, Recital. Tasmad agyana sambutam. So why don't you try just saying that first line with me? It's chapter 4, text 42, on page 227. Tasmad agyana sambutam. Hirstam jnana sanatmanaha. You try it. Thritstam jnana sanatmanaha. The dot under the H at the end of a line is a kind of a stutter, a kind of a ha ha. So the third line, Chitvenam sangshayam yogam. Chitvenam sangshayam yogam. That acute accent over the S renders it a sh sound. Atishtotishtabharata. Atishtotishtabharata. A dot under the S does the same thing. Renders it a sh sound. So here's, here's the melody. Tasmadagyana sambhutam. Try that with me. 
Let's try it once more responsibly. Responsive. It works both ways. If you're going to chant, chant responsibly. And would also chant responsively. Would anyone like to try? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. Anyone else? You want to try? Sure. All right, go for it. All right, let's let's uh, let's do it together. I'll help you with the melody. Chance just to set this up here a little bit. Tasma Dagyana Sambhutam. Now you take it. Tasma Dagyana Sambhutam. Now go on, you're doing fine. Good. Ritstam jnana sinatmanaha Chitvainam samsayam yogam Ashtitotishtabharata Oh yeah, we're getting there. So, here's the uh, translation. Therefore the doubts which have arisen in your heart out of ignorance should be slashed by the weapon of knowledge. Armed with yoga, O Bharata, stand and fight. This is one of those essential, the key verse of the Bhagavad Gita. There are some, I would say, out of 700 verses, there are maybe 40 you know those 40, those are kind of the central shlokas. A lot of Bhagavad Gita is, is repetition. It's just a handful of ideas that are repeated for uh, reinforcing an understanding. Uh, and this is one of the central tenets of the Bhagavad Gita. The doubts which have arisen in your heart out of ignorance should be slashed by the weapon of knowledge. Armed with yoga, O Bharata, stand and fight. Here's some of the purport or commentary by Prabhupada. The yoga system instructed in this chapter is called Sanatana Yoga, or eternal activities performed by the living entity. Another word for Sanatana Yoga is Bhakti Yoga. Of all the different kinds of yoga, there is only one yoga that is Sanatana, or eternal, and that's devotion. All other yoga practices are for the enrichment, the enhancement, the progress of this lifetime. 
those other yoga practices end with death. Bhakti transcends death. It's the one yoga that continues on even after you leave your body. Because bhakti is the eternal activity of the soul in transcendence. What are we? What do we do before we are in this life, after we leave this life? That's the activity of the soul. So here sanatana yoga is another name for bhakti or devotional yoga. This yoga has two divisions of sacrificial actions. One is called sacrifice of one's material possessions and the other is called knowledge of self, which is pure spiritual activity. So two kinds of uh, sacrificial actions within devotion. One of material possessions, meaning, my dear Lord Krishna, whatever I have is yours. Now possessions here is not just hard goods or money. Possessions here also means Skills, whatever talents you may have, means knowledge, whatever wisdom you've acquired. It means um, influence, if you have the ability to affect change in the community around you. So in this instance, the possessions that are being described here are both tangible and intangible material possessions. And the other is uh, knowledge of self, which is pure spiritual activity. The soul is never inactive. It's not possible. How many of you have had the experience of going into Savasana and then five minutes later you're getting antsy already? We're falling asleep. <laughs> The soul is never inactive. That withdrawal from activity is good for a while. It's good to go into savasana. It's good to give yourself a chance to absorb the asana class that you've just gone through. That's, that savasana is the caps, capstone of your class. You can't complete your class without giving yourself a chance to relax and absorb what's just happened. People who just like, you know, run out of yoga class, they're missing half the benefit of that. So there are times when withdrawal from action is very healthy. It's a very beneficial thing. Going on a retreat, for example, it's a very healthy thing. Having a weekend at the end of a work week, it's a very healthy thing. Honoring the Sabbath, which is arguably the single most important contribution of Judaism, there's a great value to that withdrawal from activity. But you can't remain there because the soul is by nature active. You're going to become impatient, staying out of action too long. The question is, what's healthy action? <laughs> what are the things that you should be engaging yourself in that are beneficial for you and everyone else around you? So the next part of this, Prabhupada says, if, one's, if sacrifice of one's material possessions is not dovetailed for spiritual realization, then such sacrifice becomes material. Well, what does that mean? That means that we've, we've had a few examples, even in, in kind of getting acquainted here this evening, uh, Francesca, you've offered uh, an important and worthy service down in the Rockaways by volunteering your sculpture installation there as a way of revitalizing the community, bringing traffic, bringing life back to part of the city that was battered by Hurricane Sandy. Worthwhile in every possible way. Who else do we, someone else was talking about doing some kind of social service, community service, I don't remember who it was. <laughs> Cher's always doing some. The suggestion here is that you can enhance whatever sacrifice you make by 
investing and underpinning of devotion to it. How, how does that translate practically? Well, the most obvious example would be food relief. Because we were just talking a moment ago about how if the food is offered in sacrifice, if it's sanctified, then there's a, a spiritual benefit that's there along with the nutritional value of that food. Uh, if you are offering medical relief in some place of emergency effort going on. For example, the hospital that's run by Radhanath Swami's disciples in Mumbai, what used to be called Bombay, along with first-class, world-class professional medical services, they also have spiritual counseling. There have been very convincing studies conducted uh, demonstrating the relationship between consciousness and good health, consciousness and recovery from accidents, from disease, from whatever it may be. By honoring someone who comes into the hospital, not as the victim of an accident, not as someone who is suffering from disease, but as a spiritual being entitled to and worthy of service and attention. That communicates in a way that just medical attention cannot. So the indication here in this commentary is that whatever you do, if you bring to your action, whether it's cooking a meal or performing community service or taking care of somebody in your family who needs care, if you bring to that action a deeper dimension of spiritual awareness, the odds are great that the tangible results of what you're doing will expand incrementally. Why should I love you? Why should I care for you? Is it just because the rules of being a good Samaritan suggest that I give a homeless person some money or that I treat someone who needs care with care? Is that the only reason? No. The deeper reason is that I honor you as a spiritual soul as much as I honor myself as a spiritual soul. And if you're going through a situation that deserves attention, would I not also want that attention for myself if I were in that position? And because we are all spiritual beings by nature, doesn't that make us family? <laughs> and if we're family, now what I do for you, I do out of love because I care for you. Not because I'm a doctor and it's my job, or not because I'm an artist and this is what I can do, but because I care for you on a spiritual level, I acknowledge you as my brother, my sister, as family. And that's pretty amazing stuff. I mean, what, what that's capable of achieving. Now, what the verse is doing is taking this to its ultimate extreme. What extreme is that? on a battlefield where Arjuna out of the softness of his heart does not want to fight he doesn't want to harm anyone Krishna's throughout this first it's about an hour they're about an hour into this discussion now and Krishna is essentially telling Arjuna you're you're deluding yourself you know he even uses the word kutas earlier in the Gita, in the second day, kutas, meaning where did this, where is this coming from? Kutas. You're, you're a, a Vaishnav. You know the higher values of life. You understand the spiritual underpinning of things. Why this hesitation to do what must be done? These people are terrorists. They're murderers. They're homicidal maniacs. 
and you want to back down from your duty as a warrior because you think that somehow that's more yogic, you think that's more spiritual, you're being foolish. Not only being foolish, you're acting in a way that's dangerous. It's dangerous for you and it's dangerous for others. The doubts which have arisen in your heart out of ignorance should be slashed by the weapon of knowledge. Hesitation is very often because we're fearful of what could happen to us. You know, we hesitate to do something, even if we know it's the right thing to do, because, well, it could come back to bite me. <laughs> it could come back to hurt me somehow. You know, either because I won't do it well, or because I'll be seen as overstepping my place. Who was I talking to? Talking to somebody. Yeah, I, now I'm <laughs> saying, well, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can really speak up to the people in charge because um, I have to be, you know, I have to watch my step. Well, to an extent, that's, that's valid. But along with that, attention to what's proper, what's protocol, what should be done. Understand this, that if we're here tonight in this discussion, it's because we have what Thomas Aquinas called a secundum quid, an additional level of responsibility, an additional obligation. Because we understand this knowledge, with that understanding comes responsibility. And you can't hide from that. You can't take your knowledge of your capacity as a spiritual being and just put that over to the side out of fear, out of lassitude, out of you know, whatever the reason may be. You can't. You can't do it. It doesn't work. Your knowledge of Bhagavad Gita compels you to do more than you think you can do. Now how do you do that? Well, each of us has our own particular sphere of influence. Arjuna's was on the battlefield. I don't think anyone here necessarily shares that particular field of activity. But each of us has a role to play, whether it's as a yoga teacher or as a performer or as a sculptor or as an actor or whatever, whatever your particular function may be. You have a field of activity. You can bring more of yourself to that field of activity. Try it. Just try it. The opportunities will be there every single day. Every single day there will be opportunities to plus your life, to go that extra distance and make something happen that you might not have thought yourself capable of making happen. That's the life of a bhakta. That's the life of a devotee of Krishna. A devotee of Krishna is an active agent in the world for spiritual change. Where Krishna tells Arjuna, the doubts which have arisen in your heart out of ignorance should be slashed by the weapon of knowledge. He follows up with this statement, armed with yoga, stand and fight. Oh my gosh, <laughs> what a powerful thing that is. Have you ever heard anything so powerful? That's better than Shakespeare. Armed with yoga, stand and fight. It's Henry V on the battlefield of Agincourt. Once more unto the breach, dear friend. Stand and fight. You have this opportunity. What an amazing, golden, rare opportunity it is to actually become a warrior, a spiritual warrior. They have classes here called spiritual warriors. You take a spiritual warrior class? That's the one I like because it's an hour. You know, it's discreet. It's one hour, you're in and out. Boom, you're done. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. So, I'm sure John also could tell us, could regale us with stories of, of how the, the life of the martial arts uh, is a life of a call to participate in the greater adventure of the life around you. 
knowing how to respond to the circumstances around you. And it's at every moment. I'll bet anything that if I went around the room, every one of you here could tell a story about something that happened today where you were confronted with a choice to make. And you went one way and you didn't go the other way. And maybe you could have gone the other way. I'll bet anything that if you thought about it, there's something that happened today as it happens every single day. Every single day, the opportunities are there in front of us to do something more, to do something better, to do something that renders the everyday actions of your life spiritual and a part of your yoga practice. Look for that. Look for those details. They're critically important. I mean, what do you think it means to be a Jivan Mukta? What does it mean to be a realized soul? It means that every moment of your life, you're aware of your environment. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden, oh, you know, you're seeing rainbows and you know, you're flying through the air. And, you know? You know? <laughs> well, that's exceptional. That's something. I remember there was one young woman who came to Prabhupada in the early days of the Krishna movement and said, oh, Swamiji, we called him Swamiji back then. When I chant Hare Krishna, it's so fantastic. I see colors, you know, and I hear beautiful music, and, you know, it's just, and I lose myself, and in Prabhupada said, it's okay, keep chanting, it'll go away. <laughs> you know, what, what does it mean to be a realized soul? It means that your feet are squarely planted on the ground. You don't lose yourself. You find yourself. You find your bearings so that as you go through the everyday moments of your life, you're seeing deeper inside those moments. That's the mystic experience. The mystic experience by every account that's ever been recorded is going inside the everyday events of life and seeing those everyday events on a deeper level. It is not some phantasmagoria of, of you know, hallucinatory you know, trippy things. It's the world you know, but seen on a vastly deeper level. And I'm sure those of you who have been here for a while are tired of hearing me say this, but what is Bhagavad Gita? Two things. One, what you're looking at is not the whole story. The story is deeper than it seems. That's one. And two, in that story, you are capable of much more than you could ever imagine. It's the sum and substance of Bhagavad Gita as I've understood it. The story is deeper than it seems and you're capable of much more. So now, we, now we're celebrating the coming to the end of the fourth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. It only took us seven years. <laughs> Good grief. <laughs> huh? Yeah, there were some detours for workshops and things, sure. So now I'd like to hear from you know you all. I'd like to hear some comments or ideas, opinions, feedback, objections, realizations. When you say huh? you're capable of so much more, more than what, than what we're doing now, more than what is exposed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you mean? Well, I think what the the indication is that. I don't remember who it was who said that the unexamined life is not worth living. You can live your life on automatic pilot. And most people do. Most people just, you know, they, they allow the circumstances around them to dictate where they're going and what they're going to do. And they respond to things. So they're, they're not acting upon their life. They're allowing life to act upon them. And that's okay. That's a way to live. I don't, I don't know whether that can lead to real joy. I don't know if that can lead to real deep insight. Um, the people who, in my life, I have learned to admire, whose work uh, impresses me, moves me, inspires me, all seem to be risk takers. Now I'm talking about writers, actors, you know, I never could figure out early on in high school, you know, 
I knew my my mom used to be an actor, so we had friends who were in theater, and they would say how you know you take your life in your hands when you go out on stage. What are you talking about? Take your life in your hands when you go out on stage. You're acting. No, you're not acting. You're putting your life on the line. Meaning what? Meaning that there are things about yourself that you don't want anybody to know. You don't want to have to stand out there in public and expose yourself and become vulnerable in, in front of a house full of people whom you don't know by having to allow these emotions of uh, vulnerability or anger or whatever the part calls for to come out. And then you're exposed and you're bare, you're naked there on the stage because you're not just imitating those emotions. You have to have those emotions. That's acting. And the same thing is true in writing. I can tell you for myself, because I do a lot of writing, that there are times when it freaks me out. I'm, I'm, I'm having to write something. And, you know, I can either just kind of parrot what's been written before or I can really think deeply about this moment, like I'm writing the biography right now of a Holocaust survivor who came over to New York from Europe, from Germany, when he was liberated from Auschwitz. And he came over here, he was 19, 19 no, 21 years old when he arrived here, and had nothing. And he started off you know, shoveling snow, because it was 1947, which was the biggest blizzard on record in half a century. So he shoveled snow for a few dollars. And then he then ended up um, working in a sweatshop, ironing ties, you know, breathing in carcinogenic fumes and ironing ties, and, and earning $28.50 a week. And then from there he went to gluing, lining inside leather bags and inhaling those fumes. He said, I didn't know from getting high in those days. All I know, it smelled bad and it made me sick. It was dirty, rotten work. And, and, and he's gone now. He died about 10 years ago. And his family has entrusted telling this man's life story into my hands. And I have to figure out who is this guy? What did two years in the Holocaust do to shape him, to shape his character, that by the time he passed away in 2003, he had become one of the richest and most successful businessmen in post-war America. A little Jew, five foot five inches tall, who became the head of a mammoth oil and gas company in Texas, owned a bank with 80 branches throughout New Jersey, was one of the founders of the Washington Holocaust Museum with Elie Wiesel, What made this guy tick? And I ha I've been entrusted with interpreting a life here. So I can either play it safe or I can go out on a limb. And I can really try to dig into the character, which means going inside myself and imagining how would going through two years of horror in a concentration camp change me? And trusting that I'm not so different from the rest of humanity and neither was Siggy Wilsig. And that we share something on a level of humanness that allows me to do that. As a yoga teacher, you can play it safe. No problem. Just repeat what you've been told. You know, your Dharma talk, you know, can just be memorized from wherever. Or you can dig down inside yourself and try to figure out what has this meant for you? What is it that has brought you to this place that now you're instructing other people in yoga? And try to share something of that from your stomach, from your gut, from your heart. What are you bringing to your chanting? Are you just chanting? Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Or are you weeping tears? Please, Krishna, struggling in this world, I can't, I can't do anything without you. I don't want to be without you. And bring that to your chanting. A very big difference. I had a, a teacher once who taught a course 
in, uh, in literature. And he was talking about the difference between um, <coughs> uh, writing as just a kind of mechanical exercise and writing as an art. And, and he did it by, he, he and his wife did ballroom dancing. So he said, it's kind of the difference between, uh, you know, dancing as a, you know, as a, Just kind of like doing the movement, right? You've got the box still. And dancing is you know, bringing yourself to that. <laughs> and it, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? So, I mean, that was like, yeah, I got that. So what are you bringing to the actions of your life? Are you just doing the steps or are you dancing? Are you just saying the words or are you pouring your heart out and praying? What are you doing? And you can do that whether you're at reception here at Jiva Mukti or whether you're shopping or walking down the street, whatever you're doing. God is everywhere. Krishna is in every detail of existence. Andantarastam paramanu chayantarastam govinda madipurusham tamaham bajamin. God is within the atoms and between the atoms. There isn't anything that is separate from Krishna. It's all his energy. <laughs> look, look close enough. <laughs> Thank God. And look close enough and you'll find him there. You won't see him if you're not looking. Right? Now imagine bringing that same kind of intent to relationships. Oh, now we're talking. I know people who, by virtue of their progress in Krishna realization, Krishna consciousness, have been able to turn around a failing marriage, who have been able to save a child from drug abuse, who have been able to reassure a dying parent, bring comfort to someone dying of cancer. Not because they're great psychologists or, or, or doctors, but because they've got heart. And funny thing, that's what yoga is meant to be. It's yoga is here. It's in the heart. Now, I don't hear too many people saying that, you know, when I attend yoga classes. I don't, you know, I wish more people would kind of come to Bhagavad Gita and then go teach yoga. You doing RT? Sure. Allison. Yeah, I was just wanting to kind of go back to offering food mm. um, and just talk about like a personal transformation because um, I used to love the cat and I despise this cat very much so. Mm. And I recently, <laughs> I recently moved and there are these stray cats that like live in our pet, like our backyard. And today I had this moment where like I just had a moment of compassion and like gave them this gourmet Italian tuna that I had and just kind of like broke it out and like took it outside and I really did just like, I felt like it was an offering, like I don't know where it came from so I just find that really ironic that I'm here today my first day and just like, you know, sharing and having um, appreciation for all life mm -hmm. and that bhakti of just like, mm -hmm. you know, able to see that realization or have that transformation share. Sure, absolutely. The one thing, you're putting your finger on something very important. If there's one quality that rises to the surface faster than any other by practicing bhakti, by reading Bhagavad Gita, by chanting Hare Krishna, it's compassion. It's the very first thing that happens is that your sense of the other, human, animal, whatever, plant, goes spiking way up, way, way, way up. Because you're seeing the presence of an eternal soul there, entitled to as much respect as you would hope for yourself. So, yeah, thank you. Share. Um, I came up at the subway and I was in a hurry and um, just as I was coming up the stairs, there was a, home, uh, well, 
wife, I don't know if she's homeless or not, but she was, she was a, a bathing on the street. And her body was very uh, contorted. And, um, and I walked by, and there was a little resentment thought that came up. It was like, oh, that means I have to give her money. <laughs> you know? And I didn't like that I had that thought, but I did. And, um, and so I walked away, and I thought to myself, you know, in her is your guru. That's your guru there. And <laughs> so I, I opened up my wallet and I came back and I gave her a dollar. I didn't want to just like give it to her to just, you know what I mean, to like, okay, so I've done this. I wanted to really be with her. And I looked in her eyes and, uh, and she said, thank you. Like she was giving me a kiss. And I was like, God bless you. It's a lovely moment. You wouldn't last long in Bombay. <laughs> what a lovely thing to do alright, thank you so we're going to do an arti and um, for those of you who are not familiar with arti it's an offering where elements of creation are offered back to Krishna um, and you're welcome to stand and come up closer to the altar are you chanting? yeah, I'll chant 